Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. Like I've always said, you got to start them young. You're right, Mountain Man Dan, and our guest tonight is a prime example of that exact sentiment. Much like myself, he comes from a military family background. With no real history in motorsports apart from the recreational ATVs that they owned, his love for the sport was sparked at a young age when his mom would sit him in front of the TV on Sundays for NASCAR races because it was the only thing that could get him to fall asleep. Fast forward many years, and Brockton Packard finds himself racing go-karts. He's the team lead for iRacing at Niner Esports, part of the University of North Carolina at Charlotte's Esports organization. He's been part of an underfunded NASCAR truck team, Rayum Brothers Racing, and co-hosts the Press Box Motorsports podcast. And he's here tonight to share his journey and thoughts on the world of motorsports for other aspiring enthusiasts. So welcome to Break Fix, Brock. Hey guys, it's good to be here and uh, excited to have a great show tonight. And like all good Break Fix stories, everybody has a superhero origin. So let's dive deeper into your Petrolhead origin story. Tell us about the who, what, where, and when of Brock. Expand on the family life part of our introduction. How did you get into cars and what made you into a Petrolhead? I grew up in southern central Florida around Daytona, Miami, all those bigger motorsports locations. The NASCAR season would start and end in Florida. We'd always go around those kind of races. We had Sebring, USA International, which you iRacing fans out there are very familiar with through the rookie street stocks programs. Like Dan was saying in the intro, my mom would put me down on Sunday afternoon in front of the TV and I'd watch the cars go around. The V8s had a certain sound that my brain would just shut me off. For four or five years, probably, that's how I'd be able to fall asleep over the weekends. And then eventually I'd start watching those races, collecting the die cast, getting to know who was my favorites and who were not my favorites, and then kind of form my own opinion throughout that in the motorsports world. Like was also mentioned, we went to what was called the mud hole in Florida. It was about a couple hundred acres of just Florida swamp that everybody would run their Jeeps, their trucks, their motorcycles, all that stuff through the woods. And we'd go through that, just rip through it hours and hours and hours, day after day. So that's kind of where it started. And then working with my dad on his Jeeps, he had old 80s and 90s Jeeps. His seal of approval was if it was a manual transmission and if it had the stamp on it. That would be his best case scenario for his Jeeps. But we'd work a lot on those because they were old Jeeps in Florida. So there's rust and stuff would break and we, we weren't nice to them. But that's when I kind of got my first like mechanical hands-on experience. Having lived in the Southeast, I know that you work on the Jeeps a lot. And while I was in the Southeast, I did my share of off-roading. And there's a lot of sand mixture in the mud down there. And it's really hard on a lot of components, such as your bearings and stuff. So I know there's a lot of upkeep to be able to go play in the mud down there. Yeah. And <laughs> that Jeep was not the uh, finest running Jeep in the world by any means. There was one day that we had just finished working on it, getting a couple parts and pieces in there. And my dad drove it down the road and I went inside for a couple of minutes. And all of a sudden we heard this big pop. We walked outside and the muffler was skidding down the road. He blew the whole muffler and the, the exhaust off of it that we just like put on there. So there were lots of breaking and fixing moments with those Jeeps and that kind of progressed throughout my life. So in all of our stories, there's usually a common thread, right? Even if we were like you or we were placed in front of the TV and exposed to it or out there turning wrenches in the garage, there's always that one time, that first time when a car or a truck or something got your attention and it was out of the ordinary because you were so used to just seeing Jeeps or just seeing whatever it was. What was that one vehicle that really got your attention? We were in the epicenter of American motorsports in Florida, at least at the time. We were part of a racing church group that would go to Sebring for the Porsche BMW Audi Owners Club. And we'd do a thing called Kids Racing for Life. We'd go down to Sebring, it'd be a week and a half-ish, couple weeks maybe, and it'd be essentially a make-a-wish, but for racing, there'd be these kids there and we'd set them up in Porsches, Ferraris, BMWs, Audis, all of this kind of stuff. And I think it was at that moment was one of those moments that just sparked something inside me that racing was what I wanted to do. 
I always liked racing. I always liked NASCAR, but being able to go around Sebring in a Porsche or something like that is just a different experience that's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't been in a race car before. And it was funny because we had the hand signals, you know, the the go faster, the go slower, the thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing, because you didn't have radios. And I was the only kid that just kept going thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up every lap because I just wanted to go faster, wanted to feel the G-forces going around the corners. And Sebring's such a fun track. The bumps, the corners, it's not a lot of elevation, but it's so fun. So I think that was by far one moment that really sticks out in my head. Maybe another moment that relates more of why I'm a NASCAR kid. My first Daytona 500 was the 50th anniversary 500 that we went to. And just the atmosphere and the crowd and the the smell, the noise, it, it kept pulling me back in over and over and over again. There's definitely something about the smell of race fuel in the air that just gets you going. My American ethanol and Goodyear tires, you can't get much better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually leads to a great pit stop question, right, Dan? Yeah, so being into motorsports and stuff, like, are you Chevy, Ford, Mopar? What is your preference when it comes to manufacturing? You know, the red and blue flames and that neon yellow 24 on the side of Jeff Gordon's car always drew me to the Chevrolet side. Of course, I have a soft spot for the Jeep because of my father. But I love myself some Chevy Camaros and Corvettes. They look mean to me. They sound mean. They always run well. And uh, it's never a bad combination, I suppose. Being a GM guy, there's common ground there. So (laughs) you're in good company. Yeah. (laughs) We'll leave the square bodies for another episode. All right, guys? (laughs) All jokes aside, let's talk about racing. In the introduction, we talked about how you dabbled in it in various ways, karting, remote control cars, and obviously iRacing, which we're going to talk about a little bit more here as we go along, all of which are very, very different. Where do you see yourself with this experience taking a next step as a driver? Or do you even want to be a driver? What are some of the barriers of the entry? And what are some interesting alternatives that you've explored? Driving has always been a number one priority for me. I love the feel and the kind of senses you get from driving a race car, whether it be virtually from above on a driver's stand with an RC car or in a cart. That's definitely what I want in the future. But the sport is very money driven and very uh, opportunity centric. My mom, I, I love her a lot, but she always made me have plans, plan A, B, C and D. Plan A was always to drive a race car. That was number one plan, would always want to do that. Plan B was to work on it in some shape or form, which we'll get into a little bit later with some of the RBR stuff. And plan C was to be a a spotter. That's something that in iRacing you're able to do. You're able to spot and crew chief and strategize and all of these different things. And I found a love for it actually pretty late on. I've only been iRacing for about five years now. And that's when I got my first real sense of spotting, being able to call the runs out, call high, low, middle, etc. Being able to do that kind of thing, seeing what was going to happen before it happened, and also being able to do a little bit of math in there with fuel mileage and stuff like that. That was always something that I knew I was good at, but I didn't know how to put it into motion. With iRacing, I was able to find that. And then my plan D would be uh, broadcasting. I do a lot of broadcasting with LSR TV, with their main sim racing series. I help out with the Press Box Motorsports podcast. I'm very media forward, so I can talk to people. My mom's a communications major. I can talk your head off all night long. Where I see myself taking the next step as a driver is I've got to get in a real car. As much as you can learn from sim racing, that's not going to cover everything. I don't know how a race transmission shifts. I don't know how the clutch feels. I don't know how all those things work inside the car. So I need to get in a car eventually. Hopefully that opportunity will arise soon. Like I said, the barriers right now are definitely the the money involved. And I, I don't want to use that as an excuse because it's just part of the game. It is what it is. We all accept that when we try to do this sport. So which discipline do you see yourself starting in? Do you see yourself going down a path of dirt oval, asphalt roundy rounds? Are you thinking sports car? Are you thinking spec Miata? There's a lot of different gateways into motorsport, whether it be oval track or road course. So what are you thinking? You know, if you asked me this question a year and a half ago, my answer would be very straightforward and very simple. I'd go into the asphalt oval, the late models, limited lates, pro stocks, that kind of stuff, the short track feel. I like that. It's fun racing and it would eventually lead into what I want to do. But recently through a team that has partnered with Niner Esports, it's called Beaver Block. We've run the Daytona 24, the Bathurst 12, and we'll be running the Sebring 12 here in a couple months. 
I've kind of shifted gears into that sports car kind of Miata realm and I've found a new passion for that. And it's fun because you're not having to worry about everybody around you. You got to worry about your race and the different teams and stuff like that. So it's not as cut and dry as I would have hoped, <laughs> but I'd be okay with running a Miata or something in the IMSA realm. The endurance racing is a fun challenge for me because NASCAR has our long races, the Coke 600, Daytona 500, but 12 hour races where you're running six or more hours is just a different level of challenging i'm one that likes to go for the more challenging events so i don't know that's a good question and unfortunately i don't really have an answer for it let's take that a little bit further what are your thoughts on the big races like the rolex 24 or even le mans oh yeah i would love to run those i did my first virtual daytona 24 this year and that was just a different experience i've never run my first laps in a race three hours into a race already that was just such a foreign feel to me to get in the car that already had damage the field was already spread out and i did 26 or 27 practice hours before that race about five or six hundred laps to get prepared mentally and physically for that race and we streamed that whole thing and we went through the paces and we finished 10th in our class so we ran the bmw hybrid that new bmw and we finished 11th overall because we had a bit of a struggle it was just such a fun experience because i didn't take it as we had to win i knew we weren't going to i took it as a learning experience and then next year we're gonna win <laughs> When you were asked like which discipline or direction you'd like to go, you opened a, a key aspect there. Motorsports is such a wide spectrum. And so many young people like yourself, initially you think one thing's what you want. But as you've come to experience other things, it's opened your eyes like, hey, I also love like this. That's a big thing that I try to promote with kids. Like don't pigeonhole yourself into one discipline or one thing that you like, because that makes the whole motorsports world rather clicky. I think as a whole, motorsports, we need to work together to get experience out there for people who've never been into it and everything. And then a big thing I want to give your mom kudos for is the way she had you have multiple plans. So many people don't realize without successful planning, you're going to set yourself up for failure. But you've had not just one backup, but three backup options, which allow you to still be involved with motorsports, which is a great path forward for you. Yeah, there's always a lot to motorsports and people always think it's either you're driving the car, you're spotting the car, or you're crew chiefing and that there's nothing else in between, which is kind of why I went into the mechanical engineering realm and all this kind of stuff. You both bring up very valid points. One that's overarching here is that a lot of people fall victim to chasing just one dream. They have this dream. I want to be a pro driver. I want to be this. I want to be that life is full of twists and turns and every pun and cliche that you can come up with along that journey. But what's important is that you're already recognizing there's alternatives along that, that you may or may not be more interested in. And that leads into what Dan was saying about motorsports is people don't realize that there are sub-disciplines inside of the greater sanctioning bodies. Let's just look at Formula One or looking at WRC or sports car and endurance racing. You can start to just dissect that. I'm a big rally fan, but when I talk rally, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, you know, group A, group B, that type mm -hmm. of stuff versus T1 raid or Baja. And, you know, again, there's so many other things you can get into that you don't have to hyper-focus on just one of them. So the doors are always open and I'm glad you're situationally aware, as we say, you know, in coaching, your eyes are up, you're looking ahead and you're thinking ahead. If this doesn't pan out, what's next? But you've already dabbled a little bit in the racing world, right, Dan? Yeah. So let's talk about your experience as part of the RBR team. Like, how did you get into it? What were some of your responsibilities with them? And how long did you participate with the team? Getting involved with them is kind of a funny story. It was 2021, my freshman year of college. I was a band kid in high school and I did a, a year of band in college. And I just happened to get COVID <laughs> on our first game week for our home opener for football. So I was stuck in a quarantine room, kind of just scrolling through Twitter and Instagram and stuff. And I saw a post pop up from RBR saying interns wanted and how to apply. So I called my mom and said, hey, you think I should go for this? It's not paid. It's experience only, but it's experience. She told me to go for it. So I filled out the information. And I think within two or three days, they called me back to have a phone interview. And then they had me up at the shop a month later 
I was on board for that. And that was right around November. So it was kind of the end of the season. So we just kind of cleaned the shop when I was first there. And then beginning of 2022, everything kind of started to ramp up. We had the Thad Moffitt deal with the 43 STP, the Richard Petty colors on our truck. And then everything kind of snowballed. I had just about every responsibility you could think of from going to Food Lion, the local grocery store, to buy Gatorades and sodas for the race weekend, to sweeping the shop, to ripping stuff off the truck when they didn't come back in one piece. Lots of cleaning, though. Something that you have to kind of get through your head is everything's important, no matter what you do. And that was hard for me at first because I was like, man, I want to build stuff. I want to do things. I want to go. And I had to remember that I'm a 19-year-old kid that has no experience on a race team. So I need to chill out and learn from everything. We went to dinos. We did chassis pulldowns. I learned so much. And I was only there for six or seven months from being an interior guy to them taking me to Texas Motor Speedway for the summer race there, having my family and girlfriend there. During that race, my first race on a crew That was just another worldly experience. You know, you always have those dreams of doing what you want to do. And then it happens and you're like, holy crap, I'm here. I'm doing this. I'm living out a dream. So just being able to do everything essentially on that race team has fulfilled so many bucket list items, but has also helped me continue my career. I got a feeling it's created many more bucket list items as well. (laughs) Plans E, F, G, and H. Yeah, there's a a few more backups now. (laughs) Tell me about your experience there in the pits during the race. Like, how was that for you, for someone who's never seen it, only seen it from TV? Like, explain that to people and the thrill that there was with that. That was a wild weekend. So the truck race was on Friday. So we flew out Thursday at midnight from Charlotte and landed in Dallas at about three, four o'clock. So it was late. We were all tired as all get out. And we fell asleep, woke up at like 7, 8 a.m., went down to the track and walked through those garages. We all see those Bob Pockers tweets where it's, you know, a sea of mechanics and engineers walking through the front gates. And I was like, okay, this is literally every crew chief and everybody who's important all in one little gaggle around the garage. We all walked in. We went to our hauler, unloaded all the pit equipment first. And then we unloaded our two trucks, the 43 and the 33 for that weekend, got everything kind of set up, getting ready for tech. Tech was wild. I've never actually gone through tech before. And it was just, you know, a long line with a bunch of people. And you just kind of sat there and people would walk around, talk to you, say hi. And then you had to push the truck up like 25 degree incline to get it up on the tech inspection. But like all good things, we failed the first time. (laughs) We failed tech inspection the first time. For a few different reasons, which we expected, you know, if your car doesn't pass the first or second time, you got a little bit of an issue. But if you fail the first time, you know, it's something good. You got something going on because if you're not cheating, you're not winning. (laughs) We pushed through tech and then we kind of just chilled for a little bit. Texas Motor Speedway is a bit of a monster for the crews because going from the garage to pit road, there's a hill. We don't turn the cars on for anything unless it's on track. So you can't just drive the car up the hill. We had to push that thing up 20 feet a hill and it's just a steady incline all the way up. So they're not the heaviest things in the world as fast as they go. A brick and a half for sure. So we went through practice. Unfortunately, our 33 truck wrecked in his first lap of practice. And then our 43 truck had an unimproved adjustment that got disqualified, I think. I'm not 100% sure on that. So basically, as soon as we were done with practice, we were all thrashing, welding, beating body panels straight, rebuilding basically the whole rear end of that race car to have at least one car in the race. We're all running on two, three hours of sleep, maybe a little more if you slept on the plane. It's Texas during the summer, so it's 110 degrees out. We're all sweating. We're just destroyed by the end of this thing. But we finally get it fixed. We get it going and we run the race. And I think we finished like 33rd or something. But it was such a sigh of relief when the car rolled off for the first time. And we saw everybody just go by checking the speed stuff. There's so many things you miss on TV. And there's so many things you miss when you're at the track. Being behind the scenes, having a crew shirt on, having those credentials, you see so much. And it's something that I never want to forget and I want to continue to do. From your time with RBR, what would you say was one of the biggest things you learned from that experience? Just the never give up attitude of that whole team. They're an underfunded team. 
they had seven full-time employees when I was interning there and they had eight interns. So the interns outmatched everybody who actually worked there. Since then, that's kind of changed and they've gone through some ups and downs. I've learned a couple of things that I won't say on air because there are a couple of things I like to keep to myself. See, <laughs> you know, he's a car guy because once we figure out what that little thing is, we're not going to share it with anybody. So we've yeah. beaten them six ways from Sunday to the next race. Then it all gets exposed, right? Yeah, there's a few things that I've learned here and there, a few things of what not to do, a few things of what to do. Like team dynamic, always be close to your employees. And even if they're below you, can't act like they're below you. Having that family atmosphere is just so important because I woke up on Saturday morning and I could not stand up. And I was like, how the heck did I get through it? And it was just the positive reinforcement from everybody to get up and go do your job and do it right and get rewarded type things. They're awesome guys. And I, I love every single one of them to death because they're the ones that gave me my first shot and never going to forget that. Somewhere in the mix of all this, based on your time with RBR and you had aspirations of being in NASCAR, now you're choosing maybe plan C, D, or E, somewhere along those lines. You've also changed the courses that you've taken there at the University of Charlotte. So let's talk about your university life a little bit. You mentioned that you're in mechanical engineering. So how's that going? Is that still plan C? Yeah, right now it's still plan C. I'm going to beat the horse to death on plan A until it doesn't go anymore. But, you know, having that engineering degree, and I'm also going to dual enroll as a communications student as well. Be an engineer that can talk to people. That's a very important thing, especially in the NASCAR and motorsports world. Being able to communicate what you want to do and being able to also have the know-how to do it is something that is insurmountable when it comes to any motorsports, but especially NASCAR. So what's the good and the bad of the MEC-E program? It's a hard program. Not a lot of people get in it. It's one of the highest contested programs at UNCC because we're all here for the same reason. 20% of NASCAR engineers, NASCAR crew, and NASCAR crew chiefs come from UNCC. If you have a degree from here, you're most likely going into a motorsports program. Having that good GPA, getting through the classes, you got to be pretty darn good at math. It's pretty math heavy. I think I get all the way up to calculus four or something like that. And it's kind of ridiculous. There's math that looks more like English sometimes. So having that competitive attitude, not taking a failure as a failure, but a learning experience and then finding ways to make a really hard degree a little bit easier is definitely advice in the good and bad. Well, I'm sure, especially with NASCAR there in North Carolina, that's like the heart of where NASCAR began. So I'm sure that's why everybody who wants to be involved in that flocks to that area. Mooresville is known as NASCAR USA, right? Yeah, Motorsports USA, Mooresville, Concord, even Statesville. There's shops all over the place in North Carolina. It's like you can't go more than 20 miles without seeing a, a little interstate sign with a motorsports facility somewhere. I mean, you've got Hendrick Motorsports Track House and Roush Fenway Kozlowski all within about five or 10 miles of the UNCC campus. Charlotte Motor Speedway is five miles. And then you go to Mooresville, Junior Motorsports, Joe Gibbs, RBRs in Mooresville as well. Further out in Welcome, North Carolina, you've got your RCRs, your Petty, GMS, Wood Brothers is in Mooresville too. So there's a whole bunch of teams, both Truck Xfinity Cup, even late models and legends. They're all over the place here. I grew up watching a lot of monster truck stuff, and I know Dennis Anderson has his shop for the Gravedigger down there in North Carolina. Is that anywhere near Charlotte? It's about six hours from here. It's funny you bring that up because I've got a couple of Monster Jam stories as well. Growing up in Florida, they would go to Raymond James Stadium. It would always rain. The best mud shows of the year would happen in Tampa. And year after year after year for my birthday, it would always happen around the same time. So we'd go watch the Monster Jam show. And then one year, for some reason, we came up to North Carolina and we went to their shop up in, I think it's Kitty Hawk. And we walked in and this is, I don't know, 2010, maybe 2009. And there's a smaller version of Ryan and Kristen Anderson and Adam Anderson all out front running this RC car all around and we walk in and Dennis is just sitting there and we had lunch with all of them. It was just one of those weird meeting your hero moments because I, I absolutely loved the Gravedigger truck and I continue to follow that. But I'm more of a son of a digger now. I like that blue paint scheme. That blue paint scheme's got a special place in my heart. But no, the black and green wrecking machine, bad to the bone all the way through, got to be some of the best moments. And there was a point in time where I wanted to be a monster truck driver. And then I realized those hits are 
are pretty hard. So it might not be the best case for me. <laughs> so that is not a plan on the list of plans. <laughs> that is not a plan. It would be a cool experience, but definitely not something that I'm going to actively pursue. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on programs like Formula SAE? I was part of Formula SAE last year and a little bit of this year. I love those guys too. Great hands-on experience building more open wheel type cars, but there's still some things that definitely transfer over. And it's a huge resume builder. Saying that you were part of a SAE program, being able to continue with that program, be a team lead, even a driver, it gives you so much more notoriety than somebody with a piece of paper saying they know how to do math. Kind of broadening your horizons throughout college, finding things that you might not think can connect to the world that you want to be in. You wouldn't think an open wheel race car would connect to a NASCAR team, but building that race car, they now know you have fabrication skills, the mechanical engineering needed for it, and the communications and team working skills to be able to work with the team and also help build a race car. <laughs> Are you aware of Formula Baja? I am aware. Unfortunately, UNCC doesn't have a Formula Baja right now. They used to. It seems like every meeting we have somebody calls out, bring back Baja. So it might come back, I'm not sure, but I do know of it, and I've watched some wild YouTube videos of it, too. <laughs> so what types of motorsports organizations or clubs are you involved with currently? Right now, it's a little bit of that SAE program, and then majority focus is managing the iRacing team for the Niner Esports program that we have here. Being in Charlotte, have you been to the NASCAR Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah. It seems like I'm there every other month. I love their simulators. I love the history of it. And every time somebody's visiting here, I always want to take them there. It's like my Disney World. <laughs> It's that feel that you're surrounded by history. And it's also kind of a goal. You know, not a lot of people get to go into the NASCAR Hall of Fame and be inducted. And it's always that shoot for the stars and you'll hit the moon type deal. Say you're going into the Hall of Fame. Maybe you might end up in a seat. You never know. But I always like to tell myself walking through the doors. One day I'll be there for a different reason. But for now, I, I enjoy it as a tourist and a motorsports connoisseur. <laughs> Well, it's time we switch gears, and we need to talk about one of your other favorite topics, which is sim racing. And thanks to COVID, sim racing and all its different forms quickly became 10 times more popular than it ever had been, and it still seems to be on the rise. So let's get some of your thoughts. That kind of explosion in 2020 and 2021 was a weird shift in the iRacing world. We were always big and we always had our big events, you know, the Coke series, which used to be the peak series and the NASCAR realm of iRacing always had big prize pools and stuff like that. But once they did the Pro Invitational and nationally televised it, and all of these cup drivers, IndyCar drivers, all these guys were getting on the sim. It really made it less of a game for the general public and made it known that this isn't something you just mess around with on a Sunday night because you think you can. This is something that people use and people are able to do as a tool. And it gives you that experience without actually having to do anything. Personally, iRacing is still the best sim out there. The quality of their updates and things like that, second to none in my book. I like how the physics work, how it feels, how it drives, what I can feel through the steering wheel and pedals. I like their NASCAR program and their road course stuff as well. But I know there's a couple things that we don't have. We don't have rain. We don't have flat spotting tires, but we know those are coming and we know that they'll be top class once they get here. There's a whole bunch of different avenues to go, but I try to stay away from things like Gran Turismo or Forza. I know that might hurt a little bit for some people, but I don't like that arcade feel anymore. I like being able to feel the car and understand the car and not just slamming the joystick left and right or not being able to feel through the steering wheel. For me, iRacing is definitely still number one on my list. We're still skyrocketing and players and new accounts rejoining accounts and laps turned i think we turned the five billionth lap on iRacing a couple months ago and that number is just going to continue to rise with our most recent update we had the i think a renault clio a formula ford 1600 and then the new late model stock car just came down so i know there's going to be a lot of people running it at the point of recording <laughs> Having been in motorsports for a long time and coming up through the video game generation myself, pretty much born with a controller in my hand, I've seen the evolution of video games. And we've had other people on the show to talk about that and where the future is. And they're like, all 
right, old man screaming at the clouds, you know, what do you talk about? I'm like, look, I've been here since the beginning. I think the biggest complaints those of us that have experience on track with sim racing say is it doesn't translate. Driving with your eyes, despite even the best, most expensive rig, doesn't feel like being in the car. You don't have the G-forces, you don't have the lateral forces, you don't have any of this kind of stuff. And you see some of these extremely complicated rigs where they're bouncing up and down and doing all this gyroscopic stuff. And you're like, cars don't do that. They just, (laughs) they don't. Eric, I know how technically minded you are and having the amount of experience you have in cars. Like I do it myself and I'm not near as experienced on track as you are, but I'll notice playing certain simulators or games like, yeah, that doesn't feel like it would in real life. So I wonder if a lot of the young guys your age, Brock, that haven't had much seat time in real cars, aren't able to pick up on that. And what you guys consider to be more legit, I'm curious if you would get more seat time, if you would start to be like, yeah, that's not actually how this happened. That's kind of how it would work. If I had actual experience behind the wheel of a car, I could feel what the car is supposed to feel like. And like I was saying earlier, I don't have experience behind the wheel of a real race car. I have go-kart experience, but we don't have go-karts. So I can't say, yeah, that's exactly like the go-kart. I'm driving a cup car. I don't know what that feels like. I know what it looks like it feels like. I know what that independent rear suspension should do based off of working on it, but I don't know what it actually does. So I'm sure that there's a difference in the real versus sim. And I'm sure that with more real world time behind the wheel of a race car, any race car, I'd be able to pick up on those differences, whether subtle or drastic and go, hey, that's not at all what that feels like. Or, yeah, that's pretty similar. With more time behind the wheel, I'd maybe... lose my rose-colored lenses but right now it's the best thing since sliced bread because i don't know any better but it brings up a real life question i'm sure you've raced sebring many times in iRacing but you've been at sebring in a race car how does it really compare memories are a little fuzzy but i do remember a lot of the bumps and a lot of the corners and a lot of stuff like that unfortunately iRacing doesn't have a street spec porsche 911 that i can just rip around there but it does a pretty darn good job yeah the graphics of some of the peripherals aren't great and the people look like they're from a nintendo 64 game the drivability of the track the aggressiveness of those curves that are there they're pretty spot on in my opinion sunset is the bumpiest corner in the world in real life and it's the bumpiest corner in iRacing too most of my experience at sebring is in a hypercar or a hybrid so it's a little bit of a different world just in that sense Personally, I was able to jump in sim and know my lines and know my breaking points and know things like that just based on that experience I had, you know, 10, 15 years ago. The upside is when it comes to training guys that have been on simulators, you know where the turns go. So I don't have to tell <laughs> you that the next turn at VIR is a left. And yeah. You're like, Wait, it's a left. It's very different when you're training people that haven't had the laps. But the one thing I've experienced with people that have come from simulators, they learn quickly, but when they get out of the car, they're like, that's nothing like what I expected. That's usually the response I get from my students that have never really driven on track before. I try not to take everything literal when I'm driving the race car. I try to know the line and a little bit of the tendency with the physics engine, but I know it's not real. And I know that air moves how air wants to move. And it's not something that we can code to move how it should because it's not always the same so i think learning the tracks that i've never driven before like i'm in charlotte i've never lived in virginia so i have no idea what virginia looks like and i don't know what vrr looks like but i ran a hybrid race at vir a month ago so i know what the track looks like and i know how to drive it and i know that i should be set up on the wide side coming in and turn one so i can get a good run into turn two it's knowing the feel of the track so you can go on there and not have that oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh i'm driving a race car on a race track driving a race car don't mess up don't mess up you can be confident in having the mental stability so you can work on the physical there's a give and take even in real life you know like Absolutely. i wish i could do what i do in the sim world but you can't right some of it is it feels like cheating physics and whatnot that actually begs a question too about the discipline of motorsport you're focused on in the sim world and i think it's an overarching conversation about the most popular 
disciplines inside of iRacing. And that I still think is Asphalt Oval, right? Absolutely. The NASCAR and the short track community in iRacing is one of the biggest in any form of motorsport because it is so limited everywhere else. You've got the NASCAR heat games and the NASCAR ignition games that are coming out, which are widely disliked. I hate to say it because I know people spend time and money and work on those as there are blood, sweat, and tears, but they're not what they used to be. And people are starting to see that and starting to search for something to really figure out what they want. If they want to go into a sports car realm or a dirt realm or stay in the asphalt realm. So I think they come to iRacing. They see that we've got almost every generation of stock car from the 1987 Ford Thunderbird, Buick, and Chevy Impala. Or it's the Monte Carlo, excuse me. And then you've got the old COTs, the Gen 6s, and now the new next gens with the Xfinity series, the Cup series, and the Trek series. And then you've got all of your short track stuff, your Legends cars, your Silver Crown cars, street stocks. We've got all those different professions of oval racing. People start to go to that because, oh, it's the car I run in real life at the track I run in real life. Let me go work on that. I know there's a few guys that are going to Southern National that are running Southern National with this new late model car because they can't get practice time at the actual track. There's a lot of exclusivity with the oval racing side of it because we can't really go anywhere else. ACC doesn't have any oval stuff. There's no outlet for us. So we all come here and we all have fun and bash and wreck and flip and all that kinds of stuff. But we also take it very seriously. The money is good in here. If you can get to the top 40 in the NASCAR side, you can join the Coke series, which has $100,000 prize pool at the end of the season. Plus you get a big trophy at the end of it too. So that's pretty good. It all comes down to how much time are you willing to spend on it and how much time do you have to spend on it because it takes a lot to get to that point and it takes a lot of effort to get good enough to get to there. For people that are looking to get into it, is there a used market out there? Would you tell them to potentially go buy something used or or do you recommend buying new right off the bat? Especially if you haven't done it before. So iRacing can be a monthly, yearly, bi-monthly, tri-monthly subscription. If you're going to try iRacing, you buy the $13 monthly subscription for one month. You go out to your retro gaming store or eBay or something. You find a cheap wheel that has some force feedback with pedals. And you slap that sucker on your desk. And you download iRacing. And you got a $50 to $60 piece right there. And you understand what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and then figure out if that's something you want to continue doing and continue working on throughout your, I guess, career, we can call it. But I wouldn't go full bore and just dump a bunch of money into it. Money doesn't necessarily buy performance and buys comfort in this realm. Of course, there's things that will help you. A direct drive wheel helps and the vibrating pedals help. Being able to catch things that you wouldn't be able to do through your head and headset and through looking at the screen, but it's not something you need right off the bat. That's something you need after you've perfected your racecraft, your lines, and kind of understand the race engine that you are using. If you don't get totally frustrated and cancel your <laughs> subscription before that point, yes. Exactly. <laughs> but there's another side to this. It's kind of an interesting side. When you look at esports as a whole, sort of as a either a profession or even as a sport itself, there's an actual debate as to whether or not sim racing is even considered in esport because motorsports a lot of times is not considered a sport. So when you look at the list of the top 10 in 2023 esports, I'll read off the titles here. None of these, in my opinion, are sports at all. We've got things like League of Legends, Dota 2, Counter-Strike, Fortnite, Call of Duty, Overwatch, Valorant, Rainbow Six, Rocket League, and Hearthstone. Nowhere on that list is iRacing. Why? You know, it's such an interesting question because just in our experience at Niner Esports, our iRacing program is our youngest program. We didn't have an iRacing program up until November. So this is all a very new program for them. And it was a new world that they didn't know about. Most of that is just look at your mainstream media. It's Call of Duty, Valorant, League of Legends. Those are your more widespread known titles. There's skill involved with it, but it's less of a learning curve and more of a point and shoot or there's strategies that everybody knows. iRacing or sim racing in general is something that takes time to understand and time to learn rather than picking up a controller and playing through a couple levels and then knowing what to do. 
iRacing and sim racing in general is 100% an esport. We've got some of the bigger competitions. We've got some of the bigger traction when it comes to what we're aligned with. But I will say, I don't know if you guys saw this. So they came out with this eOlympics and there's nowhere on there is any of those 10 games. There's no League of Legends, no Call of Duty, no Overwatch, no Valorant in those eOlympics. Well, why is that? Because they're doing all these sports titles. Of course, they have to choose Gran Turismo as the sim racing representative, which I was a Gran Turismo kid growing up. Raced a lot of that. And I love the titles, but they're not as good as Assetto Corsa or iRacing. So they could have probably done something with iRacing or Assetto Corsa. But we're represented in the E-Olympics, which who knows how that's going to be. So I think we're getting more and more recognition and representation. COVID helped wasn't a great point in our history, but it definitely helped a lot in the sim racing and the esports world in general. So hopefully one day we'll be up there. But I think there's just such a saturation of those 10 games. You can say Call of Duty and everybody's played a Call of Duty game. You can talk about that with a bunch of people. So I think it's just there's so much saturation of those titles out there that it's hard for other titles like iRacing or Assetto Corsa to kind of catch up. So you mentioned something earlier about getting ready for these races. And we had this conversation back in season one when we had Tucker Boner, who most people may know and recognize from Twitch as Jericho. He was also on Chasing the Crown on Amazon Prime. And so we discussed this with him and he said, you know, going into esports and doing this professionally, there's a lot of actual conditioning and training that has to occur. So what do you do to physically prepare for some of these races? I mean, a lot of people will say that there's 90% mental and a 10% physical attribute to sim racing because you are staring at a screen knowing that there's no physical thing that's going to happen to you. But you know that if you do one wrong move, your entire race is over. Physically, we just run laps constantly. I'll use, for example, our Daytona 24 attempt that we did for about a month and a half i did nothing but the daytona road course in that bmw v8 hybrid that was the only thing i ran for a month and a half on iRacing putting in laps and laps and laps understanding the car understanding the track understanding how to deal with traffic both getting past and passing slower cars physical side of it is just muscle memory when you're driving a race that long or any race you don't want to second guess yourself when you fly into the bus stop or when you go around turn one at bristol you don't want to second guess yourself that should be second nature you want to be able to think about what the person in front of you is going to do what the person behind you is going to do where are you on the track that kind of thing so physically it's learning the track, learning the car, being comfortable enough that you can put yourself in some sticky situations. Kind of that mental aspect is just putting yourself in those mentally strenuous places when you're three wide on the bottom in Talladega or three wide in the middle at Talladega. You've got to put yourself in some really crappy positions and you've got to make a lot of mistakes to be able to trust yourself enough to go three wide, go four wide, go around the outside, do random moves that would help you win races and stuff like that. And that's something that comes with time. I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I'm not there yet. I second guess myself all the time because I've done some bonehead moves and wrecked a bunch of people. There's always that doubt. You've kind of got to quiet those inner voices of doubt and be able to lock in and just focus solely on your car and understand that you can only control your race. So most of it's a mental training, I guess. Reaction times, just throw a ball around every once in a while. I don't know. It, it's sim racing. <laughs> well, that's funny you say that because back in our day, us <laughs> old guys here, Dan and I remember, you know, the land parties and we would get our case of balls, garana. Remember that stuff? <laughs> so there's a whole nutrition aspect to this too. And there's a lot of things you have to look at in terms of repetitive stress conditions, fatigue, you know, mental duress, things like that. And so what do you do again on that physical side? How do you change your diet? Do you work out? You know, how do you get prepped for these longer races i try to work out every other couple of days i'm not a huge gym rat i'm five foot four and 125 pounds so there's not much of me to go around in the physical side of the world you know go to the gym lift some weights your arms are going to be just dead by the time you're done with a couple hours of racing for our daytona 24 i ran the second most 
out of our six drivers and I ran four and a half hours, I think. By the end of that, my legs were shot, my arms were shot, and I didn't have everything turned up. I had everything kind of turned down to where I could be comfortable for that long. So just putting yourself in an uncomfortable position, like holding a 10-pound dumbbell in front of your face for five, 10 minutes, just having that endurance, not necessarily raw strength, but the endurance getting as much sleep as you can. The team that we ran with, their team captain and I stayed up basically 12 hours each for that. We didn't take care of ourselves as well as we should have, but being able to just push through the tiredness, not make those mistakes, and just be able to understand what your body is telling you and what you can do. Because if you push yourself too hard, you're going to start making mistakes and you're going to cost not only yourself, but the team an opportunity. Monster or Red Bull? Neither, actually. I'm not a energy drink guy. I try to stay away from the caffeine just because my body decides that it's going to go on a huge spike in like five minutes and then it just plummets within 10 or 15 so it doesn't work for me i try to just stay hydrated gatorade right now we're drinking the body armors those are pretty good but i can't drink a lot of them basically two bottles of water and a gatorade for when i'm not in the car and then i'll have uh, a water bottle with a hole poked in it when i'm driving if we wanted to get somebody convinced to come over to sim racing, to get away from what we call the simcades, like Forza and Gran Turismo and some of the other games, how would you convince someone to become part of esports? How would you tell them that it's just not another video game? I wouldn't say a darn thing. I'd put them in front of the wheel and tell them to try and drive it. That was the fun thing for me. We announced the iRacing team to the Niner Esports programs and the UNCC. And then we had a LAN event two or three weeks after. And I brought my sim rig and my computer and all of that. I brought everything there. I ran laps and people said, oh, I could do that. And I said, really? Go right ahead. And every person that said I could do that couldn't do it proving somebody that it's more than just an arcade game, that it's harder than you think. The guys that go, oh, I played Forza and I played Gran Turismo. That's great, but you haven't run a simulator yet. So come on down, sit in the sim and experience it. If it's something that you laugh at or have fun with, then you're hooked from there. Explaining it is such a hard thing to do when somebody already has it in their head that it's just a video game, that they don't understand that these are broadcasted events, that there's leagues, that there's cash prizes involved with this. They have to do it themselves. They have to try it. And I'm not saying going out and spending that money or maybe spend a small amount of money for it. Buy yourself the Daytona and the Arca car if you're a NASCAR person and run that. Those are great cars to run on that track. 13 bucks, run it and see if you like it. If you're in the Charlotte area, go to the Hall of Fame. Race iRacing at the Hall of Fame. They give you that opportunity. It shows you what iRacing can be. You can't explain it because it's something that is so skewed in the minds of people that don't know about it. It's just fake news, basically, when somebody who hasn't tried it talks about it. So go ahead and try it first. See what you can do with it. See if you like it. And if not, then it's not for you. But if you do like it, then you found yourself a fun little sim to run on. When we spoke to you originally and you sent over the link for the Twitch stream that you guys had for the race just prior to that, I went on and watched it. And with the exception of the graphics being obviously, you know, very <laughs> video gameish, it was seriously like sitting in front of the TV watching a NASCAR race on a Sunday with the commentating, with watching the different views from the different cars and stuff. And I was very impressed with how well that was done. Everybody on iRacing tries to treat it as more than just a game. If you say it's just a video game, bro, on the iRacing chats, people start lighting you up because it's not a video game. Never say it's a video game to somebody who is a hardcore iRacer because you will never speak to them again <laughs> because it is not a video game. It's a simulator. As a generalization, it is a video game. It's something that you play on a PC with video game materials, but it's a tool to help simulations and stuff like that. But we try to keep it as professional as we can, especially on the broadcasts and things like that. So having that professionalism, that TV feel, like you're watching a late model stock race on a Wednesday night, that's what we're trying to do. So for the podcast that you co-host, the Press Box Motorsports Podcast, what's it about? How often do you guys release it? Why should people tune into it? And are there any upcoming spoilers? 
the Press Box Motorsports podcast is a podcast that is hosted by Charles Wooten and I from LSR TV. We mostly talk about the sim racing world and we dabble a little bit in the real racing. People should tune in to see the news and the different leagues and events that not only LSR TV is hosting, but also iRacing itself. Myself being not only a team manager, but also a racer will You'll get inside scoops on different types of leagues that my team is running in. And then also some special guests. I think our next guest uh, is a Coke Series driver, so a professional driver who got his first win on Daytona. So be on the lookout for that one. And he's also a team member of the Niner Esports program as well. So we do a thing or two about the real world stuff, but it's mainly a sim racing podcast. Well, speaking of which, what is next for Brock? Yeah, so it's funny you guys asked that because I'm actually going up to the Jordan Anderson Racing Shop up in Statesville, which we've been in talks for a few weeks now, and most likely working with them, working with their 31 Xfinity program, which is another reason why Chevy is my favorite manufacturer. (laughs) Being able to work with them, I'll, I'll take more of an engineer role, higher data, keeping everything sorted at the shop, uh, making sure everybody knows their inventory and things like that. And then working closely with their crew chief for the 31 on race notes, setups throughout the weekend. Well, Brock, it's come to that point in the show where we've run out of plans <laughs> and we need to know if you have any shout outs, promotions or anything else you'd like to share that we didn't cover. Yeah, of course, I've got to shout out my mom and dad for always supporting me and getting me to where I am now. You can find me at Brockton P on Instagram, on Twitter, it's Brockton Packard, and then on Twitch, it's Brockton P 24 for all the weekly racing and stuff that we do. Follow Niner Esports on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Watch NASCAR on Sundays, Fridays, and Saturdays. If you want to keep up with Brock and all of his progress, be sure to follow him, as you mentioned, on social media at Brockton P on Instagram or at Brockton Packard on Twitter. Tune into his podcast, the Press Box Motorsports Podcast, everywhere you listen to all your podcasts or chat with him on the GTM Discord server and tune into his races via live streams at twitch.tv forward slash Brockton P 24. Brock, I can't thank you enough for coming on Break Fix, having a healthy debate about sim racing and esports, but also sharing your plans for your future with us. They're very well thought out and we wish you the best of luck. And I hope one day you look back like Hannibal from the A-Team with a cigar in your mouth and say, I love it when a plan comes together. (laughs) Hey man, it's it's been a great time and I'm so thankful for you guys having me on here. And yeah, it was super fun, guys. That's the plan and he's sticking to it. Yeah, man, I I got a plan for everything. That's right, listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out our Patreon for a follow-on Pit Stop mini-sode. So check that out on www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports and get access to all sorts of behind-the-scenes content from this episode and more. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization. And our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, Gummy Bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.